Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing on RTE Radio 1 Extra with this week's guest, Dave Fanning, who kicks off the interview where I ask him, um, you know, to him, what is the art of interviewing? There's all different types of interviews and there's all different types of times and all different types of places and you do kind of have to cater for what you think you're going to get. Like, I could divide what I've done into two very distinct pieces, movie interviews and rock interviews. The rock interviews, I might have an hour. I might even have the whole morning with them, both after and before. I don't like having anything before. I'd much rather meet cold and have nothing that we've talked about already. I never talk to them about what I'm going to talk about. It's just do it. And then having or hanging around with them later is great. The movies ones are very different because the movie ones are um, usually junkets and they are specifically designed to um, let the movie companies buy five to ten minutes of whatever broadcaster you're working for in a kind of a you scratch my back I'll scratch yours kind of way we'll give you the big star and you can have five or ten minutes with them and we will take five or ten minutes of your sort of radio station or television station which if we were to advertise on us would cost us a heck of a lot more than simply flying you over here to do this so you know My next question for Dave was were modern day artists going to regret not allowing access for people to interview them so no more long form interviews where you'd spend up to a week with a subject really get to know them you know have your own photographer get to do shots get to do it the way you wanted to do it not in a real kind of you know cold commercial very controlled sense and uh, Dave thinks that some of these modern day artists are really going to regret not allowing access uh, like the likes of Frank Sinatra um, Sammy Davis Jr and the way it was done way back when Well first of all living with Frank Sinatra for three months is a different kind of thing really because that's your eight page kind of thing of reflections on how they live and what they do and where they go and how they go out for a meal and who their friends are and what they do at home and that and that kind of thing is a different thing like I remember seeing um, was it Clive James with Mel Gibson and he spent four days on the set or on, in the lot of Universal Studios going around and he was the one driving the little golf buggy and all that. Now, that was around the same time as I was interviewing Mel Gibson and I got a certain amount of time because it was on the set of Braveheart. So it was in Ireland, it was where he was. He was directing it and he was um, acting in it and he was with me as he went out and acted a scene in it where he gets off a horse and hands the Queen something, a big letter and all that. So like... I was thinking, wow, I thought I did well. That's amazing to get three or four days. But actually, to be honest, that's not necessarily the kind of thing that I'm looking for all the time or need. Certainly not just in terms of hearing them talk because usually it's for a programme on television or a programme on radio where you just have to hear them talk. And it's not that I can build a whole lifestyle around them over three months with Frank Sinatra because that's just not the budget. That's just not what we do. I never even consider that I would want that even though if they wanted to give me that over a period of time. But it's the exact same thing. Funny thing you should mention the Frank Sinatra one because I've always noticed that with um, if you were to interview your Kanye West or Taylor Swift or whatever it is now an awful lot of it is so controlled that even right down to don't bother bringing a photographer we'll give you press photos first and then some of the bigger publications would say well look we really need to have our own photo mm. even if it's just out in the balcony or wherever it happens to be we just need to say we were here and while the photographer was there I might get five paragraphs out of that if I'm writing it or whatever but like in the days of Frank Sinatra the best things about Frank Sinatra because I don't particularly like his music and it's yeah. a perfect example but I love the coolness of everything that he was not so much Rat Pack but just the vibe of the times and what I mean by that is 
the photographs that you would see of Frank Sinatra probably recording in the studio. There's Count Basie over there trying to do a count-in. There's Frank there with a ashtray full of cigars. He's got his hat on. And you can see him moving in the studio and it's completely unrehearsed. It's not posed for or anything. And if only the Taylor Swifts and all that today realised how brilliant that can be and stop being controlled by the PR people that they're being controlled by, they would come across much better. Mm. Instead of the perfect photograph that's probably touched up before you even get the damn thing. Seriously, a lot of the things of just really being kind of walking down the street or sitting in a cafe or whatever it happens to be. But the photographs of uh, where you didn't even know they were being taken, although he was a photographer there, maybe yeah. took about 400, of, of Frank Sinatra in the studio is to me the coolest thing about Frank Sinatra. Yeah. So that just, image. Yeah, I just think that today's people miss out on that. I lot. suppose when they look back in about 30 years' time, they'll go, why didn't I get photos like well, that? Well, I think it? definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember your first interview that you'd ever did with anyone? Yeah, I do remember my first interview. It was the, the actor, oh God, I suddenly forgot his name and everybody knows his name, but I've forgotten his name. It was in a theatre, it was in a cinema in Dublin and I was the guy, I'll never forget saying, well, like, I mean, what about the thing about the Vietnam War? Look, Nobody knows anything because this guy had been in the Vietnam War. He said, right. look, everything written about it is wrong. We were there. But anyway, forget about him because the first band I ever did was a band called Racing Cars. And uh, they had a huge hit with a song called They Shoot Horses, Don't They? And it was about 1977, 78. And what age were you then? I was about 22, right. 23, maybe, t- yeah, around 22. Because the really weird thing is around that same time, um, Steve Avril who's probably best known as the guy who gave a certain Irish band their name, U2. I went with Steve in 1977 to an interview where we interviewed Tom Petty and I was with them. And I only know this because Steve has told me recently, and I can't remember. I don't remember ever meeting Tom Petty. He says, you were with me. We went along together. I was doing this thing for Hot Press and you were doing Scene Magazine. You were there, I'm telling you. You were... Don't remember it at all. So that was probably my first one. But I don't remember. But you don't remember it that well. <laughs> and I was sober. And you mentioned you two. I think yeah. you're, you're famous for your relationship with you two. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and you always get the first play, and you've been with them from. I think it was from Pirate Radio. You were playing their stuff. Yeah, and interviewing them and playing them, and probably the the band I played most in Pirate Radio. Uh, in the two years I was there was U2 because they seemed to have a demo tape the first week I was there just about anyway and then they had another two or three before I left so then when we did sessions here in RT in other words when Ian Wilson got the bands into use Studio 8 and put a bit of public service broadcasting into 2FM or Radio 2 as it was by, you know, giving bands a lift up the ladder and not necessarily getting any return. Mm. Like RT was saying, would say, well, why would we do this? Because it's public service. And if the band broke up by Christmas, not our problem. So be it. But yeah, just so long there could as be the chance there could be the biggest band yeah, in the world. Well, it's not even that. Just so long as the session was good. Yeah, we were only yeah. interested in music in its pure sense at the time. Yeah. And also like the amount of people I meet now who are 50 and 60 years of age. I said the greatest month of my life was when I was doing a session and we were getting there it was just brilliant mm. so um, the first band we brought in was U2 because that was the band I played most in radio but yeah in Pirates yeah but yeah and they were in for lots of interviews yeah. and suppose that is the greatest long form music interview you could possibly get because you've 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 seen them go from those you know the Pirate Radio days yeah. where you've got the demo well, true first albums true fights yeah there's arguments. a different thing though like for instance like uh like on camera now, I would have interviewed Radiohead in 92, 97, 2002 and 2005. So I would have, I've seen them grow up and be different. Yeah. REM the same, like lots of different interviews and see them in different ways. Like in the movie ones, I interviewed Scarlett Johansson when she was 10. Right. And I interviewed Scarlett Johansson when she was 18. Right. Now I haven't interviewed her in her, in her 20s, but I'd like to have got that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? So it's an odd thing to see all that, you know, because when she was 10 years of age, she was in... Uh, 
the horse whisperer. She's the one who fell off the horse yeah. with Robert Redford, that movie. And does that help as an interviewer? To have done them before? No. No. No, oh, God, no. I've interviewed Sandra Bullock six times. Now, she's so nice, she pretends she remembers you. Right. She doesn't remember you at all, you know. And like she says, you know, call me Sandy and all this kind of thing. I'm going, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, <laughs> no, nobody remembers you. Um, the only, the people who would remember me would R.E.M. I got to know them very well. Uh, and there's plenty of bands, like obviously Radiohead or there'd be certain bands that would but like the movie star people who I might have interviewed like Nicolas Cage six times like sorry who? But that's more of a conveyor belt isn't it? Because it's more of a conveyor belt. Of its so there's no setting. reason for him to ever remember I don't expect them to yeah. my god no because part of what the movie stars have to do over the last 20 years which I don't think they had to do as much in the 60s and 70s is a bit of a terrible thing it's part of their contract they've got to sell Kiss Babies Japan one day London one day New York one day LA one day and it's just in the contract you've got to sell 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 and it's even more so now the times have got lesser and they're down to about 5 and 6 and 7 minutes now as opposed Mm. to 10 and 15 minutes and so many outlets so many things online there's a hundred different kind of publications I'll call them like instead of being 10 magazines there's now about 50 now they're not magazines they're, they're, they're blogs etc but there's so many outlets now and the, the, the PR companies all want them to hit every one of them and the quality has it lessened or well I mean of course it has yeah. yeah I mean I went to Los Angeles once to do an interview for six minutes which is a long way to go for a six minute interview it was Tom Hanks and he was doing um, it was for Toy Story 2 but he had a big beard because he was actually filming Castaway Right. And it was bizarre talking to Woody with a big, huge beard, you know. And your man was beside him too, Buzz Lightyear. And the two of them just messed for six minutes and that was it. <laughs> All the way for six minutes. Back like, I mean, plane. I got what I needed for what I wanted. Yeah. Like, they're not stupid, the movie companies. I was doing a half-hour movie show on TV, which in America would really be about 21 minutes in Ireland it was about 24 minutes because there's 6 minutes of ads and all that so a 24 minute programme I've got a 5 minute interview exclusive all the way from LA with Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks is seen on the programme with me see those interviews were important to me like I used to the the guy would edit the programme we did over 400 movie shows on telly and that was in the days when people watched television and there wasn't that much choice yeah. and like there'll be you know there'll be like um Say whatever amount of minutes, and like in the first eight minutes of the program, the guy who like the editor or the or the producer would say, "Look, we really need to see you on screen. We haven't seen. So- look, no, look, there's a Hollywood explosion that cost twenty million. They'd rather see that than see me. But when it came to the bit in the program where I was with the star." I wanted to be seen with the star. I didn't want it to be an EPK, an electronic press kit. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be saying, I went and I talked to the guy and these are my questions and he's answering me. Because yeah. that, that, that gives it the... The bit of the, ownership over. It gives it the bit of ownership that the programme always needed. That was, to me, the most important thing. And taking it away from the, the people that you're interviewing and back to yourself regarding preparation, how do you prepare for an interview? Have to be honest. I've got to be honest. There is no question about it. And it sounds like SWAT Central because I wasn't SWAT Central in school. You really have to do your homework. And I am a bit of a stickler for that. And I do an awful lot of homework so that I won't be tripped up or so that if it does go on a tangent, which it usually always does, you can go with it as well. I was always very confident in the music ones because I really knew my music as a big wide thing. And to be honest, I was very confident in my movie ones because I knew my movies and my very wide thing. And that really kind of helps that you have that to go in with there. But I always did a lot of homework. And has it gone horribly wrong that you've had to require on the the homework to get you through the interview? Well, I mean, like, that's not horribly wrong. That's like saying you bring a walking stick and you had to use the walking stick all day. Yeah. I don't mind if I threw the walking stick aside and never used it and we went in a different direction. But if the walking stick is there, the walking stick is simply something you brought with you to help you to walk, yeah. which is my notes to talk. And I have no qualms because... In fact, you're better off with notes that actually do take you somewhere. Because going on a tangent is all very well. But if that's all you get, if you only get the tangent, 
it may not be good enough. Like there's other ways to the subtle things that I, I probably like. I give you a perfect example. One of the most famous rock musicians in a kind of a whatever way down through the years is Lou Reed, and Lou Reed is uh, notoriously um, spiky. Let's say I've heard of people who've come out of interviews with Lou Reed who never did an interview again. They were so traumatized. So I did Lou Reed. It was in Dublin actually, and um, I had about six pages of questions. The first three were kind of. Um, um, buttering him up let's say I'd mentioned WB Yeats in the same sentence as Lou Reed and he was a happy man once he was seen to be that kind of a person you know and then I might refer to the four books that were written about him all saying that he was a total asshole and I didn't care then because I had enough to fill a television programme I had fulfilled whatever I had to do for Sky Arts or BBC whatever it was so it was done but I mean I wanted to get the other stuff in so when I did edit the programme the editing of the programme would mean something along the lines of um, you know that like I could easily try and make it this that or the other so it didn't make any difference so I didn't have to put it in all nice but I had the nice bits so it was a 40-minute interview. He came 20 minutes late. 20 minutes after the interview started, the road manager came in and said, we got to go. So all I got was, hey, Lou, you're a great guy, which I was really annoyed about because yeah. he wasn't a great guy and I was well able to go for it if I had to go for it. And that brings it back then to the commercial sense because you're trying to, you, you have to make a living. You have to get your product to whatever outlet that you're working for. Yeah. But at the same time, you want to give something that's a little bit different. You don't want to be... You know, like I always look at the difference between, say, uh, an interview that my, uh, a, a person has done for, say, Sky Arts, and it's a more in-depth kind of interview. Right. But then there's also the interviews that happen on the Jimmy Fallon show, which is just like, give me the joke. Well, yeah. Do your funny little story. Now, hold on. Before go. you go any further, though, Jimmy Fallon is the funniest one. You should, you should mention that because of all those American guys yeah. of Leno and Letterman and all the rest, like I think the best I've ever seen is Graham Norton. I think a lot of people would probably agree with me. I think he's really got something. He's, he knows that he's talking to royalty in terms of Hollywood, but he also knows this is my show and I have to be me. Now, it's easy enough for him. It's recorded and it doesn't matter what happens. So every time there's a penis joke, it happens to be funny, <laughs> you know, which is bizarre. I'd say there's an awful <laughs> lot that went flush down the toilet because they weren't yeah. Also, I think like that, uh, I'll give you an example. You had Mark Wahlberg on, not the recent time, but the time before that, not for Ted too, but for the previous time. And Mark Wahlberg was drunk and he was getting a bit more drunk. Now, it's totally okay. There's no sweat coming on the brow of Graham Norton because it's not the late, late. It's not live. It's not live, yeah. So in other words, like we can go wherever this goes and just cut it out. Yeah. So he went very risque all the way. And of course, people thought this is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. But it is recorded and it's very easy to do. Like I remember talking to Terry Wogan once doing Blankety Blank and he said... Um, it's a 40 minute programme so yeah it takes about four and a half hours of just the guys in their boxes there doing the thing because you have to cut things out like Kenny Everett was on and he started opening the thing where you write down a big X and the blankety blank thing and he was, he was sniffing it going hey man I'm getting high. Like, they had to cut all those things out he was telling me lots of things that just don't go right or somebody was so thick from Coronation Street yeah. that they couldn't show them as that thick their agent made the call and said yeah, we can't let that go out yeah we can't let that go out yeah. so they say anything intelligent yeah we'll leave that bit in yeah. that kind of thing so um, it's very easy in a recorded programme but having said that Graham Norton is the bench Mark, as far as I'm concerned for everything really? but like that bit when you mentioned the humour thing that's a different thing altogether because they're coming on to the Graham Norton show they're not being interviewed by some Egypt from Ireland who they have to give a half an hour to in a hotel in New York or something which is my position you know mm. and they don't necessarily have to be as 
obsequious maybe is the point or they don't have to grovel they don't have to think there might be second I mean I know they're the main actor but like they are a guest on the show when I'm interviewing they're not really a guest yeah. they're just giving who they are you they're know? coming to his house basically something like that yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, he puts it on the kettle yeah. and he actually he went ahead to one of my questions which was you know who's, who is in your eyes a brilliant interviewer which is great is there anyone else of the, of I didn't say he was necessarily a brilliant interviewer I said it's a great programme it's a right, bit of okay. a different thing I mean he is a brilliant interviewer yeah. by the way I think he really is great he's got a lovely thing about it I do like the Gay Byrne school I have to be honest Gay Byrne is somebody you could watch who never used autocue yeah. and you really see that he doesn't use autocue he goes my next guest blah 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 and blah 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 blah. and also Gay had a thing of like when the band was on as opposed to with all due respect to Pat or anybody else hey you're great and all that like he'd go well <laughs> like <laughs> Jesus, what a load of shite is basically what he's saying, you know. Like, it's not for me, but like, they tell me, they tell me, the young people who produce this programme, they're playing in Bicker Street, they're playing in Galway, Cork, Dublin and that. And it's going to be great, half a sold out already. Don't get it myself. I loved all that. Like, yeah. I, I, you can't like it all. So yeah. don't pretend you do. And with all due respect, I thought Pat did that very badly in the late days because he pretended he liked it all. At one stage, he actually said to one band who were really quite cool, You'll go far, lads. Kiss of death. You don't want to be doing that, yeah. uncle, at a wedding dancing. Yeah. So there's a lot of that kind of thing. That I, but anyway, in terms of interviews, I, I quite liked Gay Byrne. It did suit the times, I have to be honest. The old way of Maureen Potter being kind of, you know, um, comedy in Ireland kind of thing. Times have moved on. But then I'm again, sure Gay couldn't still say the same. But, but you look at, he was kind of far thinking in the way that he had all the guests out at the same time, which would later become... There was a lot of those things yeah. too, yeah. That can backfire. Because I'll give you a perfect example as well. Like, I mean, people always go on about um, that the main man in Britain was always... Um, what's his name? God, oh my... Parkinson. Yeah, Parkinson, right. Now, to be honest, you know, Parkinson... Like him, blah, blah, boring as hell. Yeah. I mean, really, it was all terribly correct and proper in some ways. And it was all like, it wasn't really that insightful. And the fact that he was the only one doing the thing, he got the biggest stars. He had Betty Davis, I think, at one stage. You can't get bigger than that in terms of the whole of the 40s Hollywood. He had Cassius Clay, who Muhammad Ali. He had all these people. So all it had to do was be okay mm. in some ways. I don't really think he was nearly as good. Now, I know the times have changed, and this is all postmodern and stand-up comedy, and alternative comedy, and that makes Graham Norton fit into what where we live now but um, I don't think the, 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 the way Parkinson would have done it is all a bit dull to me now to be honest Gaze is probably a bit dull in lots of ways too yeah. but I do think he had something very special for the time he was consistently good yeah um, is there anyone that you've seen been interviewed that you have now you've, I, you emailed me a list of, of people that you've interviewed and you, even if I was just to pick you know everyone from Joni Mitchell Bob Dylan yeah, Neil Young Mitchell. you know but you, you know you've gone in the other far side of thing music wise from Cliff Richard to Slash yeah. Kaiser Chiefs to Gary Newman so it goes across a variety of genre ages and so on um, has there anyone that you that you've you've A seen been interviewed by somebody else and went oh my god that was a I can't believe they got that out of them. That was a cracking interview. Or somebody that you've never got to that um, that has always eluded you in some way or someone that has fascinated you. This could be putting myself down in terms of what I should be looking for in an interview, but I've never been so... Uh, all I want is an interview to work what I consider to be well, that we get an, an entertaining whatever out of it. And to be honest, maybe I should look for more than I often do. I'm not looking to be 
so probingly kind of a Sunday Times inside team to try and say, oh my God, look what I got out of him. Yeah. Or to try and do it like your man doing Jimmy Savile, taking him through his wardrobe of his mother's. This was before any Thoreau, bad yeah. vibes. Yeah, yeah, Louis Thoreau. And like uh, talking about his mother and even, even uh, you know, um, kind of verging on what later became known about Jimmy Savile that had been suppressed for so many years. But I like, that's not really, I wasn't necessarily looking to unearth gems of, horribleness because like there were movie stars and rock stars yeah, yeah. it's not like like when I went to Ethiopia once or Cambodia as well and I interviewed people a political programme on television once and like I was talking to these guys who had medals all over their jerseys here with an Irish camera crew and we were looking at each other and like three weeks beforehand they were tribal leaders killing people yeah. and now they were going up for the first ever democratic elections in Cambodia and it was in Phnom Penh it was like like kind of you know like, I don't believe a word this guy is saying. But, like, there he was there with two guys standing beside with spears and mad carry on, you know. Yeah, you were... go up and interview the Khmer Rouge and who killed three million people or whatever the feck it is, you know. And, like, that was a bit weird. That's a bit different. But I wasn't looking for anything from movies. So, I, so I wasn't trying to unearth stuff. Are you thinking then as... Are you thinking as a converse, as a conversation well, with that person for yourself? Or are you thinking, are you thinking for the listener? Are you no, thinking? I'm not thinking necessarily of the listener. And to be honest, yeah, probably the ultimate goal is a conversation. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you failed if you don't make a conversation out of it. But I think a conversation is probably the best one. And a conversation is quite easy. The more you do, if you do one or two interviews, you can do 10,000. And you just, if you know your backdrop, i.e. rock music or whatever it happens to be with these guys, or if you know your movies, yeah. you can reference and do whatever. And like, it, a lot depends on... like. Most of them were done with camera, uh, except for the ones that are done here in RTE. And it's interesting, like, that you only get one shot at it, especially with the rock people. Like, you might be on the 92nd floor of something and you know your man is coming in and everybody has to be, as far as I'm concerned, on their game. And I do get a bit annoyed when, I mean, a, a tape will run out and the cameraman has to make a change. Yep. And I love it when they're really subtle and really cool and it takes the 15 seconds it should take. Out, battery, in, battery. And the guy won't mind. Sometimes it might be, oh, feck it, he's done 25 minutes, he won't want to go any further with this gap now. And the manager will say, okay, that's it. Yep. It doesn't really happen, it's usually been okay. And I often say, okay, just a couple of last questions I want to do, which are going to go on for another half hour if I can. Yeah. So it, those things happen in terms of equipment. What I can't believe is sometimes the sound guys and you want to do a, a walking shot down the corridor with the guy or something. And I said, oh, I thought it was just radio mics. I, I didn't bring a boom. <laughs> I, didn't bring a, I didn't bring a this, that. I was like, oh, for God's sake. I have to go down to the van, which is down the car park, 92 floors down. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, if everybody's on their game, my game is have my homework done and be relaxed. Because the minute they come in, you've got to start. And a conversation does get interrupted. If there are interruptions, if there are interruptions of the conversation, mm. that's what I mean. And you also try not to look too much out of your eye at the PR people telling you to shut up. Um, there were a few on that level that like I was just really, I did David Bowie four or five times. And one of the times in London, the very first time actually, when he was coming to Slane to do um, his last Spider tour. So I got a thing in London with him in the hotel. I went to the wrong hotel. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I was in the hotel and uh, there's like, there's a lot of, it's a terrible thing to say, it's very sexist, but a lot of the PR people around the stars are often female and they have their clipboards and they have their little yokes here and all the rest and they want to just stop the interview that, like David's terribly nice and everybody's terribly nice, the stars are always terribly nice, but they're all going... Couldn't, yeah, they're making yeah, the face. Whatever, whatever. And like you try not to look at too many of those and yeah. try not to get in the way. I mean, the best of those ones was in Dublin. Uh, interviewed uh, Axel Rose and Slash that you mentioned actually and I was walking down this corridor, the Gresham or somewhere, with uh, 
Axel. We weren't filming. We were in, had the thing set up in a bedroom. And uh, like the PR people all on their hot pants and all the rest going like, you know, Axel's the 223. Axel's the 224. Oh, Lordy. Axel's the 225. It was like, you know, it's like ridiculous. Yeah. Carry on. And like, I mean, I remember doing... Um, uh, Robert Redford I think it was in New York at something and he, he comes into the room where we are and we're all in a kind of a green room with sandwiches and whatever and he came in and he just kind of walked in hiya folks there you are yeah, mm, I'll take one of these yeah I said, hey, uh, um, Robert fine thank you Robert yeah you're in here oh yeah kind of good. so he walks in here and then the PR people oh my god I hate it when the talent goes walkabout it's like like when you're going to be treated like that I'll give you a perfect example of that too to the point Cameron Diaz interviewed her whatever it was and she was great fantastic didn't give a damn about makeup and the sweat under her arms and that but the first time I interviewed her she did a movie with Ewan McGregor called A Life Less Ordinary and she was only just starting the mask had come out and she was now this is about her second or third movie and she had a makeup person for the right cheek for the left cheek they stopped it every two seconds looking at a monitor going no we can't get this can't get that now poor old she was she was a pawn in their game mm. I think she realised after a few years feck all these people and she fecked them all out we don't and, need to do this and became the star that she was yeah. like I mean but like she wouldn't have known she was an ingenue or whatever she was just starting out and she had been a model and all that and before that but it was like ludicrous and the interview was stopped six times to get her shagging you know her eyes or her, her face done one of the ones like that too that happened which was kind of embarrassing we just about got there because you could see she was just um, I was interviewing um, Kristen Scott Thomas um, I can't remember the movie oh no it might have been The English Patient but I don't know anyway so she was talking away and uh, something went wrong with the cameras and I was one of the first of the day. I had a lot of, I, a lot of the time I was the first interview of the day because I used to fly over at seven. I wanted to be the 10 o'clock interview and be back home by two o'clock. Right, okay. So a lot of, uh, whatever. And like also, if you're going to Dublin Airport, you might as well go at seven as nine because you just get stuck in traffic. So um, I usually got the first one or whatever. So the cameras went wrong. There was something wrong and I had to do small talk with, with Kristen Scott Thomas for about literally 15 minutes which is fine but they don't want you to move out of your seat because within it they get it they want to get started and they're already 15 minutes behind on that so you're right here and she's right there in front of you and after a while it's just it just gets a little bit awkward and she can be frosty yeah. she can like not suffer fools gladly kind of person which is great you know, and no are you the type of interviewer that when you're in a situation like that now be it the interview or be it that you have to create small talk you're in this horrible situation that's not yeah. your fault is there any fail safe questions that you have no. that you always go to oh god no no I'd just be, be talking that. about the movie or I'd be yeah. talking about how's London how's the hotel you're in or whatever you just bullshit I mean in one way you go for it you say fuck I don't care anymore you know yeah, it's just yeah. whatever if she doesn't like me it doesn't matter no it was fine in that you know but like she was there to sell a movie she was there to do this thing of the junkets and none of them really like to do it yeah. but at the same time they're never bad about it you know what I mean they, like they're they know they know why they're there we'll get to the last couple of questions and thanks for your time right, Dave yeah. um, you'll be familiar with Desert Island Discs yeah. and you're, you bring along your favourite CDs and so on yeah. um, if you were to have a companion though on this to, to, to that you're going to have to have long in-depth chats um, on this island who would be the dream guest for you or would there be a few well if, if if I could turn that around and say who was the best that I've interviewed maybe on along those lines I mean first of all like obviously I would like to have interviewed John Lennon and I never did uh, I did Ringo and Paul but like the Beatles are my favourite band that's it you know did Ringo once and Paul twice because this is true that you knew at seven 
that, that this that, at seven when you heard the Beatles oh the, no question in fact I was more I was less I was about five and a half and uh, or six and I joined our fan club when I was six right which at the wow. time fan, joining a fan a club was, yeah well joining a fan club was, <laughs> see I was the youngest of six as well yeah. so I had a lot of influences like I was a bit of a veteran of the Elvis Presley Cliff Richard wars before the Beatles in some ways at three and four and all that you know because like my whole family was into music completely so was this like for my generation of Blur Oasis oh, yeah. wars you oh, had yeah. an Elvis Presley yeah it was a different thing though was the times were so innocent and you couldn't hear any of this music here in Ireland there was yeah. no way if you could get the radio it wasn't even a transistor you'd have to kind of point it towards Kiltimach and you might just get a bit of Luxembourg for five minutes like it was impossible you wouldn't hear these things and my brother would have bought a few uh, singles which is like on vinyl you know and that's the only way we really got stuff and that's why I would have known all early Dylan and all those things at a very early age without knowing that I knew it without liking it it was just on in the house all the time and then when I got a bit older I realised how great Dylan was that kind of thing but um, yeah, the Beatles, I was in their fan club every year They for, for when they were alive. And at the fan club, you got a single every Christmas, a flexi disc. It was a boing, 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 one, you stick the needle into it. And like they were, they were brilliant. And they got a big poster, which was just a very important thing to put the poster up in your bedroom. So while. every Christmas was great. Every Christmas was great because they were, a, I believe they were one of the better fan clubs too. Okay. Yeah. Did you get a little membership card? All that kind of stuff. It was yeah. brilliant, yeah. Brilliant. So John Lennon would have been the person. John Lennon probably. I mean, it's not as though I think John Lennon's a good person. I think John Lennon is one of the most deified idiots around. He's not a good person. He was a bit of a nasty character. He had problems, you know. And Paul gets terrible hard press. Paul made a fatal mistake of not getting shot dead at 40. But I mean, John's loved, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, having said that, like the Beatles were everything. They were the greatest thing ever. There's nothing about it. But um, if there was anybody, like, I mean, I spent in 2001... I remember Dido was on the cover of Q magazine because I read a whole big interview with her and then I went in to do something that in Italy, it was in Rome and it was just one of the most amazing moments of my life. I spent 90 minutes in a room with Bob Dylan and to me that was just now. There is a problem because I've done about three of these interviews, maybe two in my life. It wasn't just me. Right, okay. I was Mr. Ireland. It was Holland, England and France and whatever. It's very hard to get anything going. But just to be there with him and just to be talking to him is just was just to me one of the ultimates. The ultimate in terms of radio, without a doubt, was Joni Mitchell. Right. Just because she was the greatest of the seventies, and to have her here, I mean, like people say, what about Bowie five times that? Yeah, sure, but there's something about having Joni Mitchell, and it was a great interview in one way. I mean, it was just it was the only time I was ever completely flummoxed. Dave, thanks a minute for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Outer View for RTE Radio 1 Extra. You can find out more about The Outer View at alanswan.com.